is on their way home right now as we speak. And so I know no one is more excited than I am. Well, Eloisa might beat me by a smidge. <laughs> but, or Lisa might, because I know we've both been kind of empty nesters this last 10 days. So, um, but I am so ready. Good Lord, man. I, this is long. 10 days is a long trip to be alone in your house. I mean, just me and my dog. My dog's depressed. It's just weird. <laughs> And so um, that's just a little clip of what's been going on. We're going to see so much more, I'm sure. And the cool thing is, too, is that you were a part of that. And we're going to hear testimonies of things that have happened and how God used each and every one of our team. We've kind of been stuck like um, in jury duty. And uh, yeah, ooh, but it, I've been meeting a lot of new people. And every time it's brought up in conversation, like, you know, that we sent a team of like, what, 15, 16 people to Ghana, West Africa, they're like, why? Like, you mean people paid to go? I'm like, yeah, they did, you know? And, and so I just, I, I'm so thankful to all of you because we sent a team of 16 people to Ghana, West Africa, and you all had a part of that. And so, I mean, we get to celebrate together. We get a party when they come home. And so if you're here today and you have brought your tithes and offerings, we just want to make sure you know that there's ways to give. There's boxes in the back. There's ways to scan. And We get to celebrate because we all had our own hand in the pot. So I'm super excited about it. Um, last week, if you were all here, um, Pastor Carl spoke a brilliant message. And I've really just been um, letting that just kind of marinate a little bit in, in me. And, and he talked about it's smart to know when you're ignorant. Catchy title. Good job, Dad. Better than mine. But um, I, I was thinking about that and just throughout the week, like how wise it is for us to keep learning and growing and to never arrive like at the know-it-all stage, you know, because I don't ever want to be there. And I think it was kind of like a, a little kick in the pants, maybe uh, a reminder to us, you know, in this last week for me anyway, is that I just, God, I don't ever want to stop growing. I don't ever want to stop learning about you. I don't ever want to hit a ceiling where I can't grow anymore. I can't learn anymore because I've put a cap on myself, you know. And, and um, we talked about the spiritual gifts last week a little bit as well. And the beautiful gifts that God has given us, not just for us but for us to glorify him and to edify the body, right? And a lot of times those spiritual gifts that he's given us require us to take a step out in faith, to activate that spiritual gift. And when I was sick, there were days that I came to church and I was really discouraged. And I felt like physically exhausted, um, maybe discouraged because I knew what was coming up that you know, Sunday, that meant Friday was coming, which was my treatment day. And, I, and, I, and there were times through those months that I really just wanted it to be over, so it was just discouraging. And um, sometimes it was on those particular days that when I came to church and I was at the altar worshiping during worship, and, and I literally felt like I was worshiping my guts out. Like, if you ever felt that, like you just literally feel like you're just it's down in your stomach, you know, it's coming out. You're just like, you're just lamenting. And it was those services that I really felt the Holy Spirit would drop a word into my heart that was, that I knew immediately wasn't just meant for me, that I was meant to share 
with the church that morning. And so there were those times that I would come up on the stage during worship and I would share what God was showing me. And I always felt so much better when I stepped out in faith, spoke what God told me to speak, and then went back home. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does when we step out in faith and do what he's asked us to do. That's what the Holy Spirit does when we use the gifts that he has given to us. It changes my mood, but it changes your mood. It changes my environment, but it also changes your environment. It changes what I'm seeing, and it changes what you're seeing. And sometimes you will never know what impact you had on someone at that moment when you stepped out in faith. But sometimes the Lord lets you have a glimpse of that impact. I'd like to ask Natalie to come up on the stage with me this morning. I had the opportunity to hear what that season of my life looked like to someone else. And this is the power of stepping out in faith with a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has deposited inside of you. I received a poem from Natalie during my battle with cancer. And I've asked her to come this morning and read that poem because I think it's so important for us as a church to understand that there is such power in spiritual gifts. All of our gifts are unique to us. And when we step out into them, it is so much more than just for yourself. So I've asked Natalie to share that poem with us this morning. Her heart is strong and full of light, but I did not know her, I did not speak to her. Still you can see she carries on with such might. Can this be, could it be true? I listened as she spoke and I knew. She is sure, her faith is real, but this world conceals it, fabricating its own hollow, falsifying ideals. Generation after generation, we think we can go on in life almost empty of fuel, rejecting to be fulfilled with his never-ending love. We resist. It's better not to think about him so we continue like it, not he, but it doesn't exist. I too am guilty. I start to stumble onto this unclear path ahead of me. I can't move, and I must trust. I know it. I must. Then suddenly I take a step. I feel the warmth taking over my cold, despairing heart. I can see just enough so that I am where I should be. The evidence is there. Like in her words she spoke, they weren't only caused by a thought and the movement of her lips. Her heart illuminates from pure love. It's obvious he's the most valuable of all her relationships. You can tell by the way she worships. This, I did not know. How does she do it? How can someone truly be faithful without having to say anything? How can that be? How can I silence my enemy to keep the light on in all the dark corners? Now I see it's him. He does it. He can and I with him is how I will be. It's not just me. The evidence is there. Can I trust? Do I dare? The world gives me every reason to quit, but with him the world gives me every reason to fight. Fight like her with the mighty heart. The evidence is there. He is alive in me like in her. Together we march through every dark space, every low place. We look up and wait for his signal. He is captain, he is our leader. We will ache, we will feel agony. We will cry, but he is unbreakable. He is our shield. With him we have glory, the one and only, who restores 
who restores us even when it seems too late, too numb, way past hate. He can, he, the creator. So we will go through all the way marching by faith, defeating the world's number one traitor. With the light, we will triumph through any illness, any worry, any darkness, any sorrow. For the light is in our favor. For the light is our one true savior. For Carrie. Well, you just witnessed a huge step of faith right there. Nat is very quiet. She's pretty shy, but what a gifting, right? What a gifting. My words did something for her, and it came full circle, and her words did something for me. What Nat saw that, that particular day that sparked her to write that made my perspective shift when I looked back in hindsight. And, you know, that's what the spiritual gifts do, is to feed us and to help us and to encourage us in the body of Christ. So if you don't, you don't follow what God is putting your heart to do, if you don't step out in faith and do it, it's not only you that's not going to be getting the blessing, it's someone else. And so I want to encourage you, just from the words that Pastor Carl spoke last week, and the, the activation of spiritual gifts in your life. Don't shy away from it. Spiritual gifts look different for everyone, but we cannot function as a church without them. So this week has been really crazy because, you know, I was thinking about her poem and then, you know, um, this week has been so quiet in, in, at the house and, and I was thinking, my gosh, what was I doing? Like, I know I did this before with everybody gone and, and then I remembered that the last time they went to Ghana, I had just started chemo, chemo treatments. And so my mother and I were at the house alone. And, um, and that's why it kind of flew by in a blur. And this time, like, every day has been dragging by. But it made me go back to that time and think about my perspective at that time and the things in my perspective now looking back and, and looking at the words that she had written. And so it just really, there was a lot of things going on in my mind this week. And so then I also had a jury summons, which is woohoo. So, you know, I thought for sure I'd go and I'd get, you know, excused and I've never been called in and never appointed uh, as a juror. And, um, well, needless to say, um, I was selected, and so I have been now in the court for the last week and going back on Monday morning. And so that put a little kink in my preparation for message plans, you know? Like I thought I had all the time in the world this week because, you know, empty house, nobody, you know, no dinner to make. Like, dude, I could work on it all day, every day if I wanted to. And then I was called up into jury. So I've been sitting in the courtroom, and it's very hard to focus in a courthouse. Like they have this space for us to sit and wait. Like, and there was one particular day we had a three hour lunch break, which is just stupid. Like, can I just go home? You know, this is so dumb. So we're sitting there and, and I don't want to drive home. And so I'm sitting there and you're just watching courts like start bringing in their witnesses all different down the hall. And, and like, there's a group of cops come in and then there's like people limping, like with crutches, you know, like obviously the you know, they're, they're part of the prosecution. And then you have like other people that are questionable that you're like, 
they are definitely the defense, you know, like, you know, you're thinking about all this stuff and you're talking to people, you're meeting new people you're talking, you're trying to like be careful what you say because you're not allowed to talk about the case with your jurors, but you got to have some kind of relationship with these people for the next two weeks, you know, so it's, it's just crazy. And I began to sit there on my lunch break and I had my headphones in and I'm like, oh gosh, you know, like I'm trying to focus so hard on writing a message, which never happened in the, in, in the waiting room. And so, but I really just found myself, there was a song I was listening to on repeat this week and it just said, all eyes on you. It's just the bridge is all eyes on you, all eyes on you. And so as that, you know, I just put, put it on repeat, do it again, all eyes on you. And, and sometimes I think we have to realize that no matter where we're at, whatever situation you're in right now, gee, the Holy Spirit's going to find you right where you're at, right? That, that's what we believe. That doesn't matter if I'm in a, a courtroom that's super busy. It doesn't matter if I'm in my home alone. The Holy Spirit's going to find me right where I'm at. And this morning, I want to just open up in prayer before we start into this message. And I just want to ask the Lord to find us right where we're at. Because he has found our team in Ghana, and the Holy Spirit has flowed out of them. And he will find us right here, right now in this place. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come before you. Father God, we worship you. We thank you, God. We thank you that we got to hear, God, a spiritual gift being activated in our body, Father God. And we pray right now, Father God, that you will find us right where we're at. Because all you do is look for someone putting themselves in position. And that's exactly what we want to do this morning, is put ourselves in position in Jesus' name. Amen. So when my boys were little and, you know, they, it was a birthday or, you know, something going on and, and I had a card there and I needed them to write something nice in that birthday card for the other brother. And I would sit that son down and I would say, okay, now write something nice for your brother. And whichever son it would be, because it would be Jordan or Drew, either one of them, they would be stumped as something nice to put in that card. And I'd be like, well, what do you like to do with your brother? This would be their response. Well, what is something you love about your brother? And they just stare at me, blank-faced, like can't come up with one thing. But if they were caught fighting and screaming coming from their bedroom and I walk into that room, pretty much run into that room, what is going on? They both would talk at the same breath. And it would be something like, he took the remote out of my hand while we were playing a game and it was my turn and I was on level six and he didn't want me to pass that level because I was passing him and I know that's why he did it. And then he took that remote and he hit me in the head and all while he's laughing, all while he's thinking, it's so funny, he does this all the time, I'm so sick of it, I'm so sick of him. Details on details on details, things I did not even care to know. So that saying it's all in the details isn't exactly true because it all depends on which details you're seeing, right? Have you ever noticed how descriptive we can be about negative things in our lives? But we're very vague when it comes to the positive. When we're hurt or upset and betrayed, you name it, we can be so detail-oriented on how we've been wronged. 
But when it comes to being descriptive in our encouragement for others or descriptive in how thankful for we are for someone in our lives or descriptive in our faith, we struggle and it can go from descriptive to very vague very quickly. We have to learn how to switch it, I think, as Christ followers. That as the church, we should be descriptive in our faith, descriptive in our love one for another and vague in our disappointments. I wish we could all say that this immediately changes when we give our hearts to the Lord, but it doesn't. And it's definitely, giving our heart to the Lord is definitely our first step to change, but it's those next steps that we take after we receive Jesus that begin to create new habits of thinking and speaking in our lives, right? So simply put, we have to learn when we should be loud and when we should be silent. And to be a person that shouts those faith words and with that comes learning how to be silent when we're walking through a season of negativity. It's a balance where negativity is going to be silenced by how loud our shout of faith is. And it should be the culture of our church, it should be the culture of our families, it should be the culture of our lives. This place should not be a place where we come to be descriptive in our negative thoughts, descriptive in the negative situations we're finding ourselves in, descriptive in negative relationships. But just because someone is willing to listen doesn't mean it's okay to allow yourself to spew out a bunch of negative details against other people. One of our values here at Elevate Ministries, one of our responsibilities is that we will stand out and we will speak up. And another thing we often say here is that we are together together. We are aligned our goals and our thoughts and our words are for a purpose, and that is to build unity, to build faith, and be together together. The one thing that attacks that together together culture is perspective. If it's all in the details, then which details are you focusing on? And I ask you this morning, what do you see? I want to look at two stories that are linked in the Bible, two very different stories, but they had the same goal, but two different perspectives. Our story picks up where the children of Israel have been traveling out of Egypt now for about 11 days, and they come to the border of walking right into the promised land, the land that God has promised to them. And they take this break right there at the border of where the promised land is, and they decide to wait there for 40 days while they send in 12 spies to check out the land and basically make a battle plan as to what they find in those 40 days. So Moses, he's speaking to his people, and I want to first read a scripture in Deuteronomy 1 because this is after the fact, so this is hindsight. Moses is looking back in hindsight, and he's speaking to the people, and he's remembering the moment when they came right there. They're right at the border. When they were at the border, and he's reminding them of the details that had happened at that time, and he said to them, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look. He said, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. So right here, I want you to see that Moses was directing the people where to look, what to see. He said, look by faith. See that? He's already given it to us. So the, the scripture goes on and he said, and every one of you, so now he's telling the people, it was all of you that came to me and said, let us send men before we go in. 
and let them search out the land and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go and the cities into which we shall come. And the plan pleased me, Moses said, so I took those 12 of your men, one man from every tribe. So I think it's so important to go back in hindsight and look back because we have to realize that the people decided to send the spies in first. That was not a God thing. The people chose to verify God's plan, to make sure God was telling the truth. So the people chose their 12 spies, each group choosing a representative from their own tribe. So you think about it like this, it would have been like one from each church group. So one from each community. One from each would have been different groups of people. They would have had different perspectives and different cultures, like as if we took someone from Elevate Ministries Orange County and then we, we put them in the pot and then we got somebody from Elevate Ministries Whittier and we put them in the pot and then we got somebody from Albuquerque and we put them in the pot and then we went to Elevate Tijuana and we put one of them in the pot until we had 12. So everybody could have their little hand in the pot, everybody could have an opinion. But when you gather a group of people from all different places, they're all going to have different perspectives, right? And that's a mashup of different ways of, of seeing things and speaking and thinking and doing. So maybe in that alone, God had his hand in that so that not all the spies would bring back the same report. Maybe God was once again reminded of his people and their lack of trust for him. And he needed to test their faith once again and their perspective before he gave them the land. So now that we know it was the people who chose those spies, not God, he allowed them to go ahead and do what they already decided in their hearts to do. We're going to be in the actual story in the book of Numbers this morning, Numbers 13, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, you will send one of its leaders. So God is saying, yes, you can send in your spies to check out the land, but... Whose report are you going to believe? But Moses, the leader of this nation, he's already starting to compromise his own faith in the promise. He's already saying things in his descriptive directions to the, the spies as to what they're to look for. It says in Numbers 13, 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and up into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land because it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So Moses, the leader of the children of Israel, the children of God, he's literally asking them, go and confirm what God has already promised. Did Moses really doubt that the land was good? Did he doubt that the land was rich? Did he even doubt that it was fruitful? God had said it is fruitful. It's flowing with milk and honey. Did it matter if the people were strong or many? Don't forget, way back in the book of Exodus, back before God had even used Moses to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt, Moses was hiding in the wilderness because he had murdered someone. And he was hiding, and God finds him right there. 
and he speaks to him through a burning bush. Do you remember that story? He speaks to him. He has an encounter with the God of heavens, and this bush is burning, and the voice of God speaks out, and he says to Moses in Exodus 3.8, I have come down to rescue them, my people, from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know about you, but if I was hiding after murdering someone and I had an encounter with God like that, I would remember every word that he said. God speaks this prophetic word to Moses of the promise to come, that it's already done. I've said it, it's done. And all Moses had to do was walk them into it. And you fast forward to them being delivered from Egypt. The plagues that God sent to deliver them. The fire by night, the clouds by day, the sea parting so they could cross on dry land and escape their enemies. It had been about 11 days since all of that happened. And they're here right at the border of the land God promised. And instead of seeing with eyes of faith, they just stop. They make plans to stay right there for 40 days and send in their 12 men to go spy out the land, to make sure it is what God has already said that it is, to make sure that God's promises are true. So they sit and wait, and they wait, and they wait for the report of their spies. You can imagine that as they're waiting, 40 days is a long time. These 12 days have been killing me. But 40 days? Like every day their faith is just waning just a little bit more. They're not moving. They're just sitting there. Their, their fear is growing just a little bit more every day. Their doubts are growing. Boredom breeds sin. Have you ever heard that quote? It's a very true statement. Boredom breeds sin. Don't let yourself get bored. It just took 40 days for a promise to turn into a problem. And then the 12 came back. And at first sight, just imagine them coming down the hill. At first sight, it would have been exciting to see. The Bible says that the men carried between them clusters of grapes so large that they had to be tied to poles between two men. So at their first glimpse, they see the fruit. And the fruit that God promised, that, that the land is fruitful, just like he said it is. I see it. And in Numbers 13, verse 27... They gave Moses this account. We went into the land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And then the very next verse is but, or in some versions, it's nevertheless. The people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and large. We even saw descendants of Anak, which are giants. And then they started to name off every single enemy that lives in the hill country and that the Canaanites, their enemy, live near the sea and along the borders of the Jordan. So they see that fruit, but then comes the report. So that nevertheless, that literally means despite all of what you're seeing, it's impossible. And there was a voice that spoke up from two of the men that were chosen out of that dozen men. In Numbers 13.30, it says, But Caleb tried to quiet the people. And I just that one line right there, just look at that for a minute. Caleb tried to quiet the people. That means that they were already in such an uproar, accepting the details, accepting the problem. The fruit was forgotten. The promise was forgotten. 
And he tries to quiet them down and he says, let's go at once and take this land. We can certainly conquer it. So Caleb hears what's going on and he tries to silence the problem to get their eyes back to the promise. He tries to remind them it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the problems are. God has already promised. Don't think, don't talk. He's like, let's just go. Let's go and take what is already ours. And in Numbers 13, 31, the story goes on, but the men who had gone up with him start to argue. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. So right here, their details start turning into some lies, right? They're making some exaggerations now. They're making the problem so much bigger. That land was not devouring the people living in it. It was blessing the people living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. All the people now are giants. Do you see that? We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So now they're assuming what the enemy thinks of them. So these 12 men, think about it, 10 of them were identifying as grasshoppers, but only two were identifying as giants. 10 saw a problem, two saw the promise. And Caleb and Joshua, they stood up against all of Israel's yelling and anger. They stood up against the negative details. They stood up against the unbelief. They stood up against the culture that was starting to be formed in Israel. And they stood up against the noise. But we know the story, right? The majority won. The problem overpowered the promise of God. And they missed that precious opportunity to take that promised land just 11 days into their journey. They would spend the next 40 years circling the problem that should have been the promise. Circling it until an entire generation had died. Imagine circling a problem for 40 years. Actually, mate, some of you probably don't have to imagine it. Some of you in this place have probably been circling a problem for 40 years or what feels like 40 years. They're circling this problem for 40 years all while they could have been living in the promise. All 12 men saw the same thing. They saw the same fruit. They saw the same lands. They saw the same armies. Ten came back, and all they saw was the problem, but two came back focused on the promise. Ultimately, faith and unbelief do not come from our circumstances. They come from our heart. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord. We know this scripture with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. There's a reason why that's in the Bible. There's a reason why it says, lean not on your own understanding. If we ask ourselves, when, t when those situations get tough, what do I see? So you fast forward 40 years, and now jo Joshua is the leader of Israel. He has stepped into that role. It was one of the two that saw the promise 40 years ago. Moses has died along with the entire generation who only saw the problem. And once again, they're at the border of that same promised land. And Joshua, he remembers what happened 40 years ago. He remembers everyone had their hand in the pot. Everyone had to be involved. Everyone had to have an opinion. And so he does things very differently. Joshua secretly chooses two men to go in as spy and spy out the land. No one knows they're going, and no one knows 
anything that's said to them. Church, this is a really good lesson for us today in our lives. There are times in life when you need a group. And there are times when you need to make your circle small and intimate. Be wise in choosing when and who. Honestly, if you read about these two spies and their three days in the city, you would think it was an absolute failure. They had to hide the entire three days in the home of a woman known to be a prostitute. They didn't get to check out the walls. They didn't get to see the armies. They didn't even see if there were giants still there. They didn't do any of it. They were being hunted so quickly that they had to take refuge in this woman Rahab's home. So it wouldn't have been surprising if they had felt that their three days was completely worthless. But while they were with Rahab, God uses her, simply her words, to get their focus back to the promise because they have heard all the problems. They have heard Problems on top of problems on top of problems from the generation that raised them up. They grew up walking around the problem. In Joshua 2 verse 8, it says, Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. And she said, I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did for all your enemies. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. These descriptive words of faith from a Canaanite woman. Her words built them up so much. They hadn't seen anything, but they didn't need to see anything. Her words impacted their perspective. Her words affected what they were seeing. Three days in hiding, and God's purpose was just to use those days to encourage their faith and take their focus off of the problem they'd been trained to see and back to the promise. Do you think anything had changed in those cities since the 12 spies went in 40 years later? I mean, if anything, they would have grown. There would be 40 years more babies that are now men, larger armies, larger walls. But they didn't see that. They heard the words of her faith. They saw the promise through her eyes. And their report to Joshua in Joshua chapter 2, verse 23 to 24 says, Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. And they said, The Lord has given us the whole land, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. They said, The Lord has given us the whole land. They didn't even see a portion of the land. But they knew because of Rahab's words, and they quoted her words to Joshua and said, the people are terrified of us and our God. You see, sometimes you don't need to see it. If someone speaks faith into your soul, all you have to do is believe the promise. Faith shifts our focus from the problem to the promise. The same city, the same walls, the same army, the same giants, but they finally looked with eyes of faith. Forty years later, they understood what Moses had meant when he first told them, Look, the Lord has given you the land that is set 
before you. The difference between these two events really came down to unity. The first time, the people were not unified. The 12 spies weren't unified. They were all settled in their own ways and their own opinions. And some saw the promise while others saw the problem. But then 40 years later, there was a unity that not, had not been there previously. We know Joshua and Caleb were unified leaders. We know that the two spies they chose were unified in agreement of what they should do. And the outcome shows what unity is capable of. So now they're ready to take what is theirs, unified in the promise. And you fast forward to Joshua chapter 6, they're ready to take their promised land. But they're facing another problem in the middle of their promise. It's a fortified wall, city with walls on all sides. It's the city of Jericho. And these walls cannot be climbed. There's no way they're going to be able to shoot arrows over them. They cannot even be torn down. So it would have been so intimidating to finally get here and to see that. In Joshua 6.2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. That sounds very familiar to Moses' words. Look, the land I have given you. See, remember what you're looking for here. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. It could have been like, see what? The walls are still there. It is still intimidating. But God is showing them there are different ways to see. They have already had lessons in seeing. The first group of spies was 40 years earlier, couldn't see what God was showing them. So God was expecting them to learn from those mistakes. See what I will do. That scripture still stands. See, it's yours. It's always been yours. I think if we could just see the promise, we would stop asking God for so many things that he's already given to us. He's already promised us. There are, there are things that are there for the taking, church. We just have to walk in. Are you praying for that peace in your marriage? That's a promise that he has already given to us. See, I've already given it. Go and take it. Work for it. Walk into it. You're praying for provision in your families? That's a promise that's already yours. You don't have to ask. It's sitting there. Just step into it. Cross the boundary. You're asking for healing in your body. The Bible says it is already done. By his stripes, we are healed. Step into it. It is already done. Don't you see it? Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Isaiah 40, 31, those who put their hope in the Lord, they shall renew their strength, soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You see it? I've already given it to you. Focus on the promise and not the problem. So here they are standing at the border of their promise and it's walled in. And God gives them specific directions. We know this story. If you've had any kind of Sunday school, we all sang Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. You know, we all did it. And that, thought, that song's been in my head all week. But we're going to read it. Joshua 6.3. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. 
And on the seventh day, march around that city seven times. And with the priests blowing those trumpets. And when you hear them sound that long blast on their trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So if you're familiar with the story, the children of Israel's army went and marched and did exactly what the word of God said. And they marched around for seven days in silence. They did not say a word. And on the seventh day, you can just imagine the priests with those ram's horns start to blow the trumpet, basically announcing the presence of God is coming. You better be scared because the presence of God is coming. And that whole army in unison would shout as loud as they possibly could, and those walls would come tumbling down. It sounds like some crazy battle plans. Probably not what they had been expecting. But if you think about it, the children of Israel had mastered that whole circling thing. Hadn't they been circling the promised land in the wilderness for 40 years already? They had literally been circling the problems and what they had believed in that report of the spies for 40 years. They are now an entire new generation that has become used to circling the problem. They are used to seeing it as they circle it. How many of us here today can think of those seasons in our life where you're just circling that problem and it's just there and you almost get used to it. It's kind of like this, this table here. If I'm circling this table, there's no way for me to not see it. No matter where I go, I turn this way, it's in my peripheral vision. The problem is here. It's right there. I can see it. It's always in my line of sight when I'm circling it. It's always there. And I believe that God was using Jericho to retrain these men and women in their circling, to retrain their bad habits. There is a way to circle bad and there is a way to circle good. There is a way to circle a problem and there is a way to circle a promise. And God tells them to see it. See it. It matters what you're focused on. When they were circling, it mattered just how much we focus on today, just like it mattered what they focused on then. You can decide what you're going to see when you're circling. Am I going to see this as a problem as I go around? Am I going to see it as a promise? Am I going to be looking at this with fear or am I going to look at this with faith? Am I going to see Jericho and the walls that just are fortified and strong or am I going to see Jesus that he could just take it down like that we have a choice we can focus on the wall or we can focus on the word of God and I'll tell you what when you have the word of God in front of your face and you're circling this problem you suddenly aren't seeing the problem much anymore because you're looking at the promises of God right here and it's turning from a defeated lap into a victory lap Because now I'm saying, oh, Jesus, you took those walls down from Jericho. You can take the walls down in my life. It's just a matter of shifting the perspective. You may have to walk around your Jericho for seven days, seven weeks, seven months, maybe a year. But when you are focused on the word of God, your view changes. It is still there. This has not been removed. It's still there. 
but my focus has shifted. And suddenly every lap is my victory lap because I know what's coming. Faith begins to be spilled out as the children of Israel walk around that wall. And each footstep makes the foundation of that wall just begin to shake. And each footstep makes that wall a little bit more unstable. Nothing was changing visibly for them, but something was shifting each time they circled. In Joshua 6.20, the Bible says, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of that trumpet, when the men gave their loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in and they took that city. Many scholars believe that the wall, as it collapsed, collapsed in such a way that it actually made a ramp or a pathway up into the city for them to actually walk, just like God promised, walk and take it. This is what happens when we see the promise and not the problem. This is what happens when we move towards the promise in unity, together, together. Unity is where we see atmospheres shift and walls come crumbling down. That unified shout, I can't even imagine. After seven days of silence, that shout with the ram's horns blowing and the Ark of the Covenant standing right there, what that must have felt like for the enemy. And today I would say we need to find that unified shout now more than ever in the church. We need to find that unified shout more than ever in our homes and in our families and in our marriages and over our children. We need to find that shout that lets the enemy know the presence of God has arrived. The presence of God is in my home. The presence of God is in this situation. It's coming right now. You better be ready because as soon as I blow the trumpet, as soon as I say the words and shout, the walls are coming down. There's a promise. That's the difference in looking at it as a promise and not a problem. They blew the trumpets to announce the presence of God was approaching. It really is a glimpse for us of our coming promise. We are strangers in this land, folks. And I think sometimes we forget we're strangers. But there's one coming. And when he comes, the Bible says, for the Lord himself with a cry of command, a shout of command, with the archangel's shout and with the sound of the trumpet of God, he will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. This world is full of problems that we can find ourselves circling. And that promise that we are waiting for gets lost in the view. But oh church, don't lose sight of the greatest promise of all. We are not meant to be circling the rest of our lives, problems and problems. We are victorious. We are victorious. We stare at the problem. We stare down the problem because the Bible says, see, it is already yours. See, I'm coming back for my people. See, you are strangers in this land. Don't get comfortable circling. Revelations 11:15 says the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voice and it, voices in all of the heavens which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and the Messiah and he will now come and reign forever and ever. I'm telling you church I want to be circling the promise not the problem. 
I want to be ready when that trumpet sounds. When that moment comes to tear down walls, I want to be ready because I see the promise behind the wall. Because I'm focused on the problem. I got to stop with the mumbling and, and have that thought in my head like, no, I will be silent when it comes to the discouragement. Silent when it comes to the defeat. And I will speak words of faith at that wall. And I will see the promise. I will command my mind. You will see the promise. We need to see, church, that the land is already ours. This church, this city, it's already ours. To focus on God's promises over the problem takes faith. And we, if we say we are a people of faith, then we have to learn how to shift from problem to promise. To learn how to circle things focused on God's word and not the walls surrounding our promise. Praise you, Jesus. I just want to pray this morning. Can we just bow our heads and pray? We're going to have a time of worship before we go because I really felt that the Holy Spirit wanted us to war a little bit in worship, to be loud in some worship today. And I know I've, I've talked about a lot of different things kind of all meshed together. But the first and foremost thing we have to do every service, every time we get together is we have to have, we have, to have a time where we can invite you to know this God we're talking about. We have to have a time in the service where we give you opportunity to know what it's like to stare at a promise over a problem. To know what it's like to walk victory laps over defeat. Because that's what we're talking about this morning. It's Jesus. Jesus is what's changed our lives. Jesus is what changes our perspective. It's all about Jesus. And if you've come into this place this morning and you don't know that Jesus, we want to invite you this morning just to slip your hand up so that we can pray with you and you can experience that relationship that we talk about and we're excited about here. Is there anyone here this morning? So we're going to move on with the service. And I just wanted, the only thing I see is us worshiping in unity. That's what God, we, I want to get back to a unified heart, a unified spirit. That when we have someone in our midst, someone in our body, someone in our family that is circling a problem, that we can come up alongside them and start speaking words like Rahab did to switch their perspective and start pointing them back to the promise, repeating the Lord's word saying, see, it's already yours. See, it's already yours. You don't have to be feeling defeated. You are victorious. It's already yours. This is what I see our church being for each other. This is what the spiritual gifts do for each other. This is what just Natalie's poem did for me in a time where I felt broken. See, it's already yours. Look what I see in you. It's already yours. And now three years later, reading through her poem again and looking back, I couldn't help the tears because she was seeing something I didn't see. 
I believed that there was going to be a promise at the end, but I had to walk through the problem. And sometimes it got discouraging, and I needed words like Natalie's to say, see, it's already yours. See, look. So we're going to worship, and I want to open up the altars. If you want to come down, if you're circling things, that you need a perspective change. You need to start looking at something you're circling that's a problem and look at it as a promise that God is going to use this to do something incredible in your life, in your family. He's going to use it. God does not let anything go to waste, church. And we're going to worship. We're going to worship as we do a lap this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, sing it out today. Oh, if faith is what moves you, Lord, then let it be said of me that all of my hopes and all of my dreams rely on what I believe. The strength of my heart endures when trusting in what could be the substance of hope and evidence of the things that are still unseen. Sing it. If faith is what moves you, Lord, then let it be said of me that all of my hopes, all of my dreams rely on what I believe. The strength of my heart endures when trusting in what could be the substance of hope and evidence of the things that are still come on sing it oh if faith is what moves you lord oh let it be said of me let all of my hopes and all of my dreams rely on what i believe the strength of my heart endures oh and trusting
strength of my heart endured. Yes, it does. When trusting in what could be, all the substance of hope and evidence of the things that are still unseen. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. There's some of you guys in here this morning that I really feel in your homes this week, you've got to do this. Like physically do this. You've got to physically walk around the perimeter of your home. You've got to walk around the living room. You've got to walk around where your children sleep. You've got to walk around your bed, your bedroom that you share with your husband. And you've got to start declaring promises. You've got to just start declaring promises over every problem. Because we all have them. We all have problems, but you got to start declaring it out of your mouth. It says, by your faith, be it unto you. You have to speak it out. We have to be a church that sees the miraculous in our lives. You, we have to be the church that, that sees miracles happen and comes and shouts about it. So it builds up someone else that tells them, oh, I got to do the same thing. So I, I got to stop looking at this problem because they saw the promise and, and look what it did for them. If you would just look and see, if you would just see that God has already done it, church, there would be such victory flowing through our marriages. There would be such victory flowing through the relationships in our church. Oh, Father God, we thank you and we praise you, Father. We praise you, Father God, that you are a miraculous power working God and that that power flows within us. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells within us and we have the authority to speak against the enemy, to speak against sickness, to speak against pain in our bodies, to speak against the enemy trying to attack our to speak against separations, to speak, Father God, against anything that the enemy tries to throw those fiery arrows at us. We bind it in the name of Jesus, and we speak authority, God. We speak promise. We speak promise. We speak promise, God, over all the problems, God. We speak a promise. We see it. We see it, Father God, and we're reaching out for it this morning. We are reaching out for it this morning, God. Help us to circle
substance of hope and evidence of the things that are still unseen. Come on, let's all sing it out together. All of my hope, sing it. And all of my hope, all of my purpose is real. How many's faith have been been built up today, strengthened? I, I so enjoyed that message. I just, it's, it's actually kind of kind of put something inside of me. I, I need to walk around and speak faith more. I need to speak speak faith more when no one's looking. You know, when no one hears it, because God hears it all the time. But it, I don't need someone else to hear it. It builds up my heart as well. So I, I just so appreciate Pastor Karen and what she brought forth this morning. How many of you enjoyed that message? How many are encouraged this morning? Come on, am I the only one in this place that's encouraged this morning? I feel so encouraged. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this message and for this service, a service of faith. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can depend on your promises, Lord, that we can take confidence, Lord, in what you've spoken to us, Lord. We can take confidence in what your word says, Lord, and what the blueprint of your word, Lord, has spoken into our lives, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we go from this place, Lord, throughout this day, throughout this week, Lord, that we would claim those promises. Come on. We want to claim those promises this week. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we do that, as we begin to speak the good, Lord, to speak faith about people, about ourselves, about our situations and our families and all that's going on, Lord, and as we watch, you begin to turn the tables, Lord, you begin to tilt the scales in the other direction, Lord Jesus, simply because of the words and the outpouring of our faith from our own lips. And I thank you for it, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you for this service and this time that we've had together. I thank you, Lord, for our team and that are, that are coming home from Ghana. They're going to be landing here in just a few minutes and so we thank you for them Lord I pray Lord that as they come home Lord that we hear all the testimonies and everything that's gone on over there Lord that we can all be blessed because of what you have done through them Lord we're so grateful to you I'm just so thankful Lord for all that you're doing Lord you are such a good God and we love you today in Jesus name amen come on is anybody excited about the Lord this morning what a great God that we serve. We want to thank you for being a part today at Elevate Ministries. If you're watching on the live stream, thank you for joining in with us. We, want to, we just want to send you off today in faith. Let's go out. Let's speak, speak words of faith about ourselves and about those around us. We love you. Have a great week.